Well, hey everyone, welcome to episode 231 of F-Stop Collaborate and Listen with your host, Matt Payne. This week on the podcast, I was joined by Cody Schultz, a black and white landscape photographer living in Pennsylvania who has chosen to work in the medium of film. Cody and I talked a lot about the impact of social media and other factors on our mental health and how we can use our work to overcome some of those challenges. On today's podcast, we covered a wide array of topics that hopefully you'll enjoy, including social media and mental health, knowing when it feels right to make the image, pursuit of what's important to us as photographers, and a lot more. Before we dive in, I wanted to share a special offer to you. In my opinion, printing your work is both important, but also one of the most overwhelming and anxiety-producing steps that we can take as artists. Choosing a partner to help you through that is really important. After a lot of trial and error with various labs, I personally have chosen to use Read Art and Imaging. In that partnership, I have been able to secure a discount for listeners. Before I tell you about the discount, let me tell you why I love using Read. I have used a lot of labs and Read continues to be my go-to for several reasons. They provide a hands-on customer service approach that helps you feel confident that the work that they produce for you will meet you and your clients' high expectations. Most other labs just have you upload and pray, not read. When you work directly with their sales manager, Michael, he will make sure that your prints will be produced exactly as you envisioned. New customers can get 20% off their first order with Read by using the code PAINPODCAST. Just call Michael Baker at 303-573-8084, extension 321, or email him at michael.baker and tell him Matt Payne sent you to use the discount code. Okay, let's get to the show. All right. Cody Schultz, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, Matt. Thanks for having me. Of course. I'm, I'm super glad to have you here and really excited uh, to have this conversation and just wanted to thank you so much for spending the time to to really flesh out some of these topics we're going to cover today. I, I think I think our listeners will, will get some value out of it. Yeah, I definitely hope they do. And if they don't, then they can send all of their complaints to uh, CodySchultz at gmail.com. Is that right? Uh, Cody at Cody Schultz.com. Yeah. If you really want to go for it, <laughs> oh, I was just send, any, send any complaints, any, uh, whatever Great. you want to send, whatever. Hate, hate mail, love mail, all, all yeah. the above. Yeah, yeah. Whatever. I'll go with it. <laughs> right on, man. <laughs> well, for, uh, for people that have not been familiarized with you or your photography, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. So like you said, I'm Cody Schultz. I am a black and white photographer based out of Pennsylvania which doesn't have much to offer in terms of uh, mountainous landscapes or oceanic views, but got a lot of woods. So I've been working with that. Um, I've been doing this for about seven years now. I picked up a camera in 2014 in my freshman year of high school because I needed some kind of creative outlet to kind of help me with mental health and just something to do besides sit around playing video games all day. So, yeah. Nice. What uh, what specifically, if you don't mind sharing, uh, were you struggling with? 
Uh, a lot of depression and anxiety came from the whole depression. So mm-hmm. I've been struggling with that since a little bit before 2014, but that was when I was like diagnosed, so to speak. Um, and so I've just been going along with that and just dealing with it and trying to get better with it. It's working my way towards it, but still got a journey to go. Brilliant. Uh, why photography? <laughs> I, it's easy. I, in, it's easy to get into, I should say. Uh-huh. So it, I definitely don't want to take uh, take away from the talent that everyone else has and all that. But uh, it's definitely one of the easiest arts to get into, at least in my opinion. So for me to be able to just pick up a camera, plus I had previous experience with it. Uh, I had taken a photography course in middle school, actually, uh, just a real basic one. And that kind of got my uh, feet wet a little bit. and couple years after that i ended up with a camera of my own just because i had some prior knowledge to it so brilliant you know i think a lot of listeners know i have a a background in counseling and and mental health and in terms of my education and work history so i'm always fascinated to have conversations about art and the intersection of mental health and I'm, i'm curious how have you been able to measure photography's impact on your mental health yeah um it's it's tough to say because my battle with mental health has been going on for as long as I've been doing photography, so it's not like I have some split point where I was battling with mental health and then I got into photography and I can judge the two different sides. you know what I mean yeah uh, it's not like it just made it go away <laughs> right yeah. yeah so so it's it's tough to say, but it it definitely did help for sure. And it has continued to help. There are of course downsides to it um, that I found more so because of trying to make it into a business and trying to uh, trying to make a living out of landscape photography of all types of photography. And that kind of put a drain on my mental health more than it helped me. But the actual act of being outside with my camera and being out in nature specifically with my camera was uh, definitely, definitely helps a lot. So Nice. Well, we'll we'll definitely dive more into that. And I'm I'm just curious, and I'm sure people listening will be curious too. Uh, either before you pursued photography, or or even now, what is it that you're doing in order to sustain yourself financially if it's not photography? So I'm still in uh, still in school. I'm in college, and my going into my final year towards uh, becoming a teacher. I want to teach uh, English secondary education. Nice. So that's going to be my ultimate goal because I figured not only do I love English, as can probably be told with my writings and such, uh, but I also love the idea of having the summers off and being able to freely travel and do whatever I want with that. Plus, it helps my girlfriend also wants to be a teacher. So having the summers off together and being able to travel, and that's definitely going to be nice. So um, I'm really just working part-time jobs. I've been working at a, a car dealership just helping them run parts and that kind of deal for the past like three or so years. So that's what I, that's how I kind of help with it. And I've been mm-hmm. trying to get, uh, trying to get my writings out there a little bit more this year to try and make some money off of that if I can. Okay. Awesome. Well, you know, getting back into the, into the emotional aspects of photography and also it, it being a vehicle by which you use to process and, or, um, I don't know, express yourself 
uh, artistically. I'm curious, um, can you explain how photography has helped you over the past seven years? I mean, what what is it specifically about engaging in this art form that has helped you? I think it comes down to me having a, a sort of focus for uh, for my mind to go into something that I can just kind of drop everything else in the world around me and just completely dive into this one thing that really helps me to take off whatever's stressing me out, whatever's giving me anxiety or depressing me at the moment and let it all go. Even if it's just for the five to 10 minutes or whatever that it is for me to set up a shot, take the shot and then dismantle. So yeah, I think it's really just that that focus that really helps so much. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I remember about halfway through COVID, I listened to a podcast um, where they did a bunch of research on kind of measuring different people's uh, ability to cope with COVID. And what they found was that the people that were doing well had found basically gotten deeply involved in projects and found ways to keep their mind busy. And the people that weren't doing well had basically just been sitting around and didn't occupy their mental space with something else. So I think that makes a a great deal of sense in terms of what we see helping people get through tough times. Yeah. I mean, and that makes sense if you think about it too, because if you're just sitting, even if you're scrolling through your phone, you're mind at most times at least is going to be more distracted you're not going to be as like free of thinking as you would be if you're just kind of sitting there waiting around and i think that's why we dive into our phones so much regardless whether they are helping or hurting us in terms of social media with body image and with all that fun stuff but i think they're also helping us to not be stuck in our heads as much but that can also be a downside too if you really think about it because despite the harm that can happen when you are stuck in your head, you're also, in a sense, losing uh, creativity in a way. You know what I mean? So you aren't able to think through a, pro- like a, a process as well if you aren't focused on it or if you can't put that mental power towards it, if you just want to grab, grab towards your phone to look something up instead of thinking, how can I do this my own way? So I, I think that's one of the harms towards it. Yeah, it's interesting he brought up social media because for me, uh, social media takes me into my head in bad ways. You know, it's um, you're, you're comparing yourself to others. You're, you're perhaps unnecessarily judging what people are typing or, or what they're putting up in terms of their photography. And I think it's an easy way to get into a negative headspace. So I'm curious as someone who has openly dealt with uh, mental health issues, uh, where do you see the intersection of your mental health and social media and your photography? And how do you maintain um, a healthy balance to not have it poison you? (laughs) I'm actually glad you brought that up because I got off social media at the beginning of this year, almost entirely. Um, I deleted my original Twitter account that I had, which I really wasn't active on anyway, but I deleted that. My Instagram page is disabled um, and has been for a good three, four months now. And Facebook is just Facebook. I don't really uh, check up on it or anything, but I haven't deleted it because otherwise I have family that I'm sure will be uh, 
asking me questions that I just don't <laughs> want to deal with. Right. Are you okay? Are you alive? Are, are you okay? Are you still alive? Are you dead? Where are you? Like it's, I did it once before where I disabled it. And my, I think it was my cousin who was just like, cause we did a uh, video game tournaments and all of that together. And he was asking my mom about me and if I was okay. And th- all of this, I just don't want to deal with it now. So I haven't done anything in terms of deleting Facebook, but it's, it's interesting though, because I'm starting to feel pulled back into social media, specifically into Instagram, despite all of the harm that it was causing, because I got off of it because I'd constantly see photographs from other photographers and I'd be comparing myself to them and saying, Oh my, their, their lighting is so much better on their photos. Their compositions are better. Why can't my photos be like that? Why aren't my photos getting, 200 to 10,000 likes on them when there's R and all of that other fun jazz. And I got to the point where I just couldn't deal with it anymore. I would sit at work and just be scrolling through my phone all the time. And so I figured, you know what, I can do better things with my time than make myself feel so terribly. And so I decided to get off of it, but I'm feeling that pull towards it again because of I miss sharing my work and having a, some sort of having a way to share my work with uh, photography friends and with all of that besides my uh, newsletter and my website. So I recently just uh, opened up another Twitter account. So I might try that because I see a lot of photographers kind of flocking towards Twitter more, especially now with Instagram's announcement of, oh, we're not all about photos. We're more leaning towards video because that's what gets views and drives their algorithm and makes them money so um, we'll see how that goes if i'm really all that active on it but yeah social media was uh, not a healthy thing for me mm-hmm. i'm curious thinking forward to re-engaging in social media and knowing kind of the pitfalls that you've fallen into in the past in terms of comparing yourself with others and things of that nature what strategies will you develop in order to avoid those same pitfalls so that you can leverage the platform for what you want to get out of it um, and avoid the things that you don't want to get out of it? I I think the nice thing with Twitter especially is it's more, or at least it seems to be right now, uh, more discussion-based. So a lot more of talking rather than scrolling through and double tapping than scrolling through the next one. And so I think being able to have an actual discussion about a photograph rather than just seeing it at base value will definitely help me some. Um, And it could help a lot of photographers too, because if they enjoy sharing their process, like what I do, then it's, you can learn from each other. And instead of saying, why is their lighting so much better than what mine is? You can ask them about their process and if they're willing, they could be, they could share it with you and, you would learn from that and see how to get yourself into better shape with that, with the things that you think you're struggling with. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's why I love talking to other photographers, even through email. And I like getting even the side handed uh, comments and compliments that I get from some photographers about my work because it makes you feel good, but, and it makes you feel better about your photography. So I think that'll, uh, Twitter will help that with kind of conversations that you'll be able to have with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, you, you had mentioned your your process and that immediately uh, caused me to think about your, your specific process in terms of how you make images. 
focusing on black and white and having the limitations of, you know, Pennsylvania as your canvas, <laughs> you know? Uh, you, I mean, you laugh, but I mean, I feel like you could find a beautiful image anywhere, but... Uh, oh, yeah, for sure. But I'm curious, um, in terms of your process, what it, what? how would you describe your approach to, to making images in relation to using it as a vehicle to, to help you through some of the issues you were describing earlier? So to go over my process quick a little bit, um, I use a Chamonix 45 F2 large format camera. So I'm strictly film and I've been strictly film since uh, 2019. And I started that because of, uh, as cliche as it is, to slow down and to spend less time on the computer, more time out in the field. I thought you were going to say because you're a masochist, but (laughs) no, I'm just kidding. No, 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 no. If I was a masochist, I'd go eight by 10 or larger. Right, I'm right, not. Right. I'm not that bad yet. I'm not Ben <laughs> Horn over here. <laughs> no, I, I was just kidding. I was just kidding. <laughs> Had to bring no. a little levity to that, you know. <laughs> yeah. So my process is very, as my girlfriend tells me all the time, very slow, and it drags on. And especially because I, I love seeing like I focus a lot on intimate scenes. So if I see a flower, that's just like it just catches my eye for some reason I have to photograph it. And so I'll photograph that one. And then five steps away, I'll see ferns and I love ferns and I have an infatuation with them. So I have to photograph them. And my girlfriend in the meantime is like, really? Like <laughs> they're ferns. You photograph them like 500 times right. now. It's just like, stop. Do you really, do you really need another photograph of ferns? And I tell her, yes, yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs> uh no, it's funny because uh, I feel like you, you remind me of a lot of my friends, you know, like we'll be photographing fall colors and, you know, we, we've been photographing together for six, seven years and they're always captivated by the same things they were the year before and the year before that and the year before <laughs> that, but it's it's always good and it's always fun, but it is it is kind of funny if you start to think about it, like, do you really need another photograph of that subject? Yeah. yeah. Yes. Yes, I do. Because, you know, it's interesting, right? It's and I don't mean to like speak on your behalf, but it just, I think for a lot of us, it's not the end result that matters. It's the process of engaging with that subject, with the camera that is helping us uh, through something, whether it be our communion with nature in a spiritual way or, or whether it be working through things that are going on in our head or whether it be trying to disconnect from, you know, the chaos at work or at home. So I think, I think what you're kind of describing is that, is that need for um, engaging in a process. Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I mean, it's, for me, it's all about the journey. It's not about the destination. I don't care if I get a photograph and especially with film too. If something happens where I pull the dark slide and don't put it in right, or if I come home and cause I develop my, all of my own film. And if I, mess up with development and a photograph gets ruined yeah it sucks but at the end of the day i still have the memory of that photograph of that moment in time and in all reality it's not like i'm making a living off of this i don't need to rely on any singular photograph to to make a living to make any money off of it so if they get ruined then it's kind of it's a zen-like process that i go through kind of in a sense (laughs) 
uh, where I'd much rather be focused on the moment and enjoying that moment to get through whatever I need to get through and moving on, whether I get a photograph or not. I mean, there are times where I've set up my camera and composed everything, metered the scene, got everything ready, was about to click the shutter and said, no, this doesn't feel right. And, and that's for the past year or so, really, that's been my biggest thing is, does the scene feel right? Is there meaning within the scene that for one reason or another, this calls out to me, even if it doesn't make sense to anyone else? Well, I'm going to ask you a tough question, but how do you how do you know when when it speaks to you in that way? Because I know for myself, I often struggle with with that, you know, and then oftentimes it's like you said, you just know. But I'm curious if there's some signals that you're picking up on that, that maybe other people can learn from in terms of, especially as someone who's using film. I don't think there are any true signals, nothing that you are cognitively aware of, at least consciously. Um, but whenever I'm going through uh, walking on a trail or going somewhere, if something catches my eye, then I'm more inclined to stop and really start analyzing it. And there have been times where I've sat and stared at rocks, just random rocks in the forest that are like, maybe, yeah, that might work. And my girlfriend yells at me, I'm like telling me to hurry up. And I'm like, yeah, okay, maybe not. And then I'll walk away from the scene, but I'll still feel called back towards it. And sometimes I ignore that call and sometimes I don't but it's a matter of how you personally feel when coming up to a scene that uh, at least for me, that helps to, to uh, determine whether it has meaning or, or not. Yeah. And it's interesting, right? I feel like that same exact scene, if you were to approach it on, you know, seven different times, seven, seven different days of the week, maybe on three of those days, you would feel compelled to make an image of it. And for the days, maybe you wouldn't, depending on how you feel or a bit, depending on how the, you know, the quality of light or, or, or whatever you're thinking in that particular moment in time. So I think sometimes there's all these different elements and factors that play into how, you know, our relationship and our conversation that we're having with, with the subject that we're trying to make an image of. Yeah. And like you said, with feeling too, I mean, I could go back to the same scenes seven times, and be in seven different emotional states. And even if I'm taking a photograph, there'll be seven different photographs just based off of the composition or the exposure, how I edit the photograph, how I end up printing it, all of that. They'll look, even if it's slight, they'll look different in a way, just as well as they would if the lighting was different or if anything else about the scene, if a tree had fallen in the background or if one of the rocks was misplaced by an animal or something. So I kind of, I don't wait around for a scene to be perfect. I just walk up to a scene and if it catches my eye, I'll capture it because I know that that scene in an hour from now, as great as that composition could be, the light could change and I might not like it as much. It might just turn me off in from that, from that subject matter in general and just ruin the meaning for it. So I'm either going to photograph it then, or I'm going to not photograph it for that day at least. Right. I feel like we've all been there before, especially if the light was speaking to us in a certain way and then it and then it changed and you're like, well, it's not the same. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's sometimes sometimes can be very frustrating. Um well I'm curious, you know, how has your mindset in photography 
as a career change in recent years? I know you had mentioned that was something you were interested in pursuing. So I'm curious how that's shifted over time. About two years ago, I was really big into the whole idea of making a go at this and really um, making at least somewhat of a living. Even if it wasn't substantial, I wasn't looking to make $100,000 a year or even $50,000 a year. I was just making looking to make something to help support me along the way through through college and all of that. But uh, with that in mind, I, I tried doing art shows and they were a complete bust because um, they just weren't the right, whether they weren't the right ones or I didn't have the sales tactics or the enthusiasm behind it. I was treating it more like it was an exhibition, like a high-end exhibition than anything else. I mean, I spent almost a thousand dollars on a 40 by 50 inch face mount acrylic um, photograph of a fern in black and white. Not a lot of people are into that. (laughs) (laughs) I feel you. you. (laughs) It was a bad decision from the start. And I went, I just kind of followed my gut. And at the time I loved big prints and I wanted to print everything big. So I did a couple, uh, 32 by forties on paper and, uh, framed them up i did this 40 by 50 and i'm like yeah i got some 12 by 15s not going any smaller than that they're priced at x amount of dollars i forget exactly what they were but yeah it it didn't go well i think i sold maybe four or five pieces over the like eight shows that i did for that year oh wow it's it's really sad when you uh when you're winning more awards for like best in show or third place in show, that kind of thing, than what you are actually selling your art, <laughs> which I mean, the awards are great. The money that I got from them, it wasn't fantastic. Didn't pay for the shows, but at least it was something. But yeah, I went into a little bit of uh, a little bit of debt with that. Um, that definitely didn't help me. But um, so af- after that, I, I had to reevaluate my situation and, I don't know exactly how I came into uh, contact with his work and with his books, but uh, I came across Guy Tall and his book, More Than a Rock. If you haven't read it already, I highly recommend reading his writings because they have completely changed my, uh, my photography and my way of thinking around photography, especially as a business and even more so, uh, as a form of art and personal expression um got a little obsessed with his writings um not in the bad way but more so because of my own writings comparing them but regardless of that um after reading through more than a rock i kind of sat back and i was like i don't need to make a living off of this to be happy with my work i don't have to be successful in the typical American way of making six figures a year off of my photography in order to be enjoying the process and in order to be loving what I'm doing. And so I went into uh, 2020 feeling really good, both on mental health wise and photographically. And then unfortunately COVID hit and the world went to hell and it was just things started coming crashing back down and I went back into the space of uh, how can I make money off of this because I got laid off my job and I'm not getting unemployment because I wasn't working the job long enough for it to qualify. But then 
towards the summer of 2020, I kind of went back into the mental space of, okay, I don't need to be making money off of this. I can just kind of relax a little bit and enjoy photography for what it is. Just a fun hobby that I do that helps me to pass the time and helps me mentally. So that was kind of like the guy's writing was definitely the uh, catalyst for for helping me to push through all of that uh, obsession with making money off of it. No, that's that's great. I was I'm glad you talked about Guy's book because it is a really great great piece of work, and I think it can help reframe how we think about our relationship with with our work and and in you know try to decouple that expectation of of you know capitalistic expectation with art. And I think that's, I, th- I actually do think that's important. And I'm curious what you think about, you know, like how, how, how can we do that in a way to where you can do both? You know, is it possible, do you think, to, to, to decouple our expectation with finance and focus on the creative side and, and the art? Or, or are they always inextricably linked? What are your thoughts on that? I mean, it, it's tough to to decouple that expectation completely, uh, especially being a film photographer with four by five, it's costing me about five bucks or so each photograph that I'm taking. So it's real tough to go out and photograph anything at all. If in the back of my head, I'm thinking this just cost me $5 and it might not work out. And even if it does, it's likely not going to bring me any money. But I think instead of focusing on how to make money selling prints per se. If you really want to make money off photography, change it into some other way that you can make money from your work. So instead of prints, try like how I want to try uh, through writing. If you enjoy writing, uh, maybe through YouTube videos start, even though there are plenty already, there's always some little niche that you might be able to fit into on YouTube where you can make some money on that side, educating other photographers, uh, even if it's about your process. I mean, people love stories. So even if you're telling the stories of your outings for photography, people will gobble that up, I'm sure, even if it's a small audience. You don't need much. But I think the idea of completely decoupling business and photography is, I don't think the majority of people are able to do it, unfortunately enough. Um, Just because you constantly in the back of your head have that thought of, how am I going to be able to justify going out and spending money to travel? Where am I? Where is this money to travel coming from? Where is this money for the software coming from, or my, for my website, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera. And that's where the trouble comes in. If you could do a website for free, if you could do, if you could pay once for Photoshop again, if you could didn't worry about upgrading your camera, then that's one thing. But having those constant upgrades is kind of makes it real tough. I'm curious, um, hearing you talk about that shift in your mindset, I would like to hear about how that shift has impacted, um, your, your actual photographs. You know, have, have you seen uh, a market change in, in the quality of your images or in, in the type of work that you're producing? I definitely wouldn't say the quality, but I feel as though I'm putting more of myself into the photographs than I was before. Uh, I've never been one for grand scenes, especially because Pennsylvania really doesn't have many, which it it's tough. It isn't the most fun thing when you can't go out and see a bunch of grand mountains and 
have these towering views, but at the same time, it makes you think harder. So now instead of being able to take the easy shot of, especially if you're in Wyoming, say like the Grand Teton mountain range, instead of having that shot and constantly being in a resort to that, you have to think, how can I make this work? And yeah, it makes it difficult. Yeah. So with Pennsylvania, I just went towards, uh, initially towards the waterfalls because that's what we have. And slowly over the years, I've been able to shift that more towards the intimate scenes found on the forest floor. And while it's not what people want to see all the time, it's not what people expect and it's not going to bring in a ton of money because it's not the grand scenes. It's more so about pleasing myself and uh, doing the art that counts for, for me and making art that feels right for me. When I moved from Colorado to Oregon in 2013, um, for, for whatever reason, my focus in photography shifted away from, from being more personal and the things that I was personally interested into more of a, how can I make money? Uh, at, you know, how can I produce work that people will buy? And I think it's because I was in unfamiliar territory, you know, I was right, in a place yeah. that I didn't really know what I was personally connected to yet. So, <laughs> um, I think that was part of it, but, and I can tell you from, you know, hindsight being 2020, the work that I made when I lived in Oregon, you know, on the whole, I mean, there were some good images I made, but on the whole, it was my worst photography because I was so focused on what people would like and what other people would buy and all that, all that. And I think, you know, when I moved back to Colorado in 2016, that all shifted back to kind of making photography that I was more personally interested in. And I think the more and more that I've focused on that for myself, the, you know, I think the quality has improved, but also my personal satisfaction with the process has greatly improved. So um, I mean, I was definitely at a point myself, 2014, 15, where I was, I really didn't care about photography much at all. In fact, I was even thinking about getting rid of all my stuff and just picking up something else as a hobby. So um, I think that's really important um, observation you've made in terms of kind of focusing on what you want photography to be for you. Yeah. I mean, that's at the end of the day, that's what's most important. I mean, if you're, if you're happy going out and photographing the grand scenes and do taking the photographs in the ways that's going to bring you money, then by all means go for it. There's nothing wrong with that. As long as that's what's making you happy. And as long as you are content doing that, but the problem comes in when you're doing that and that's your main focus to make money and you're taking these scenes that you know will make money, but at the end of the day, you come home and they aren't what you want to be doing, what you want to be photographing. And I think a lot of people need to start rethinking that uh, that mindset of, are these photographs that I'm taking truly what I want to be taking? Are they give, Are they helping me to find meaning in my life or are they just there? And am I just chasing it, what could end up being a pipe dream, unfortunately enough? Yeah, it's interesting to think about, right? Because, um, I mean, I liked what you said that, you know, if, that's make, if that makes you happy, go for it. And I think for some people that does make them happy. Um, but I think it's for different reasons. I think it's, um, you know, they like the social interaction they get on social media in terms of the likes and all that. They like... You know, for, for some workshop leaders that I'm familiar with, I think they enjoy the 
being the cult of personality, you know, like taking yeah, people yeah. to those places. And I think they're getting some fulfillment out of that. So I think, you know, there's no right or wrong answer, but I think what you've highlighted is that it's important to ask yourself what is important to your, for you and to pursue that. Yeah. I mean, if you, if it's not important to you, then there's, you're wasting your time. That's what it comes down to. Then you sh- you're better off doing something that you feel is important. And if you're not, then drop it. There's no shame in that. Like if you found like for you, Matt, if in 2014 or 15, like you were saying, if you had decided to drop photography at that time, yeah, it would have sucked because we wouldn't be able to see the images that you produced up till now. But at the same time, if you weren't feeling that fulfillment from photography, then why bother doing it? If you would have gotten fulfillment from something else that would have replaced that joy that you were getting from photography in the past or even exceeded it, then go with that for a while. I mean, there are times now where I even think, is photography the right outlet for me? And so far for the past seven years, it has been, but next year it might not be. Or 10 years from now, I might find that, you know what, abstract painting or block art or something else might help me to express what I'm trying to express in a more fulfilling and overall better manner. And you kind of have to go go with your gut with that. And then if you find that a year or two from there, photography just slides its way back in, then pick it back up and go with that. But at the end of the day, if we're going to consider ourselves to be artists, then I think we need to focus more so on the fulfillment aspect within ourselves rather than what tools we are using to create the art that we want to be creating. You know what I mean? You know, it's interesting as as you were talking about that, I was thinking back to, you know, why did I get into photography to begin with and what do I love about it? And it's, you know, that, that deeper connection and conversation that we can have with nature through the camera and through our lenses. And I know that's when I found myself to be the most happy is when I'm focused on that as opposed to all these external variables. So I'm curious for you, having been, you know, struggled with mental health and, and, and having discovered photography as this mechanism by which you can find ways in which to cope with that, cope with those things. How have you crafted a deeper connection with nature and how has that had a major impact on your mental health? In beginning of this year, I decided uh, I made a choice because there's a local uh, state park. It's like maybe 10 minutes from my house and I've been there here and there, but it was in the winter. So I figured why not go over there quick, see if I can get any photographs to start the new, new year off. Right. But I made the, cognitive decision to really focus on what I was feeling while out in nature rather than thinking, am I going to be able to get a shot? Where is my shot going to be at? Looking around for compositions and trying to bring them to me like I had in the past. So I would end up just walking along this path and waiting and hoping, not even hoping, but just feeling for once and connecting with nature to such a deeper level than what I ever had before because not now I wasn't focused on taking a photograph I was focused on everything else around me at the time like the birds chirping the snow as it began to fall from the sky and drop onto me and onto the ground and fill the fill the world with white and that helped a lot to change my mindset and while I've only gone out with a without my camera once this year 
I'm kind of hoping to do it more often because I think by not having my camera with me, I'll be able to connect with nature and really understand the why behind what I create rather than focused on just creating something so that I can come home and say, yeah, I created a photograph. Yeah, it's interesting as you're talking, uh, I think you'll appreciate this as someone who likes to write and who is studying English. Um, And I think some listeners might eye roll a little bit, but, you know, I think the language that we use to describe our process can, can impact. And I, I picked up on that as you were talking, you know, you were describing kind of two different worlds where on just use black and white since that's your <laughs> format, but you know, the black side, you were talking about taking the shot, you know, taking something. Um, whereas on the white side, you were focused on creating something and having a relationship with nature and, and focusing in on something. And I think that that paradigm shift on how we think about our process of photography through language can also be a powerful way to shift the way that we um, engage in, in this craft. And I strongly believe that it can also impact the final results. Yeah, I definitely never thought of it like that in terms of the the black and white of like the black being taking something away versus working with something to create something that could be beautiful or or maybe not beautiful but just honest but that's that's definitely a different way of thinking about that yeah it's i've um just you know you're talking about twitter i've actually been in a couple of conversations on twitter this week with sarah marino and michael bolino about that that shift in language and i think as you were describing kind of those two worlds that you were trying to, you know, you were trying to get away from this mode of engaging with nature where you're taking the shot and you're trying to get more into this mode of, of engaging with nature where you were communing with it and engaging with it with your camera. I, I was just reminded of so beautifully through the way you described that, that that language kind of is important um, in terms of how we, think about what we're doing with our cameras. It's You could say the same argument about good light versus bad light. You know, I, Sarah was talking about that as well. You know, like there's photographers out there that, I mean, I'm sure you've seen it. People on workshops or whatever, workshop leaders will say, oh, the light's no good. Or, you know, you know, the people will say things like that. And it's, I think it's an incredibly short-sighted way of thinking about photography. There's no really... If you think about it, there's no such thing as bad light. No, um, not at all. I mean, what's bad light to you is going to be great light for me. I mean, and maybe being a black and white photographer helped to to change that in a way because you're more focused on tones and texture rather than the colors. And while light's important, you can shoot in midday and come out with a contrasty photograph and it still looks right because it's black and white. Whereas that light and super contrast that the harsh midday sun will bring might not look as great in color. And so maybe that's a downside in a way to black and white where you're not so focused on light or you can photograph whenever. But at the same time, it helps you to realize that just because a scene doesn't look, just because one scene doesn't look great in this light doesn't mean that in midday it won't look better or that you can't work with that light to pinpoint a scene within that big scene, a more intimate scene 
that's really going to shine in that light that you wouldn't have focused on had the light been during golden hour for, or uh, really how everybody wants it to be. Yeah. I mean, you just nail, you just hit the nail on the head. I mean, I think so much of this is because of our expectations of what we're going to photograph. And oftentimes that can create these preconceptions of what it is we want the scene to look like. And I've made very conscious efforts personally over the last four years to, to have zero expectations. I, I know that it's frustrating for people that I'm with when I'm out because they're all excited about the potential. <laughs> like, you know, they're looking at the clouds and, and they're like, Oh, I think it's going to happen. It's going to be amazing. And I'm like, maybe it will, maybe it won't either way. I'm fine. So, you know, and I think, but I think when you decouple that expectation, it opens up all of these doors uh, by which you can, you know, whatever you're dealt with, there's opportunity there um, in terms of finding a subject or finding something that speaks to you if you're, if you're open to it. So uh, I think expectation management is one of those things that's absolutely critical if you're to maintain a, a good uh, headspace around photography. Yeah, I mean, expectations could be could end up being a terrible thing for any artist or anyone in general, but especially when it comes to photography. I mean, if you're going out and you're expecting there to be fog in the morning or for the light to hit just right or any of that, and or for a composition in general to be able to work out, it could ruin your day and completely ruin not only that day, but potentially the entire trip if you made like a four day or longer trip out to photograph these specific things and you expected them to be a certain way and they're not, you could end up just really irritated. And instead of enjoying the moment, you just, you can't. And it, it's a shame. Yeah, it really is. And, and I, I think this is something that a lot of photographers struggle with, uh, especially you know, people that, that aren't able to do it often you know i think you know you talk about like weekend warriors or maybe people that um, take two or three big photography trips a year and that's all they get in terms of time out and so you know they they have all of these checklists and places that they want to go see and photograph and and then that creates all of these uh you know like oh the light wasn't good at trillium lake or oh man, you know, I was expecting fog in the redwoods, but I didn't have any fog the two weeks that I was there, which is actually my, the situation I just dealt with. <laughs> um, but it was actually fine. You know, I was able to have a wonderful time and I was able to use that opportunity to, to try to challenge myself, to, you know, find different compositions. I don't know if I made any great photographs, but I certainly think that I came out of it uh, with, you know, I had a great time and I enjoyed spending that time in nature and learning about that subject. And, and I think if you shift your focus in that way, no pun intended, but I think that can really help in terms of maintaining a, a healthy relationship with, with photography. Yeah. And for those who aren't able to get out a lot, I mean, I forget who said the quote exactly, but it was something along the lines of, photographing within 10 feet of your bedroom or 15 feet of your bedroom and seeing what you come up with just from what you see around you. So if you aren't able to get out a lot, but you still enjoy photography, then maybe shift your focus towards what you have within your vicinity 
where you can come home from work or maybe wake up a little earlier than when you normally do and go out to your backyard if you have flowers in your backyard and see the flowers in a different way rather than and try to train your brain towards seeing the beauty in everyday life rather than building on these expectations and having them crushed because the one day each week that you're able to get out or the one week each year that you're able to get out, the light wasn't right or the conditions weren't as you wanted them to be. So I think working around your home or working around your office building or wherever, even on your commute to work, will help you to kind of quell those expectations a bit. And Mm. at least then you'll be able to photograph things that, and maybe you'll see a new subject matter that you fall in love with and start a passion with that you weren't expecting. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm curious if you could tell us a little bit more about your new series of articles titled Finding Meaning. I I think that's a pretty pretty good segue that we that we opened up there in terms of connecting more with nature, but I want to hear more about what these articles are about. So Finding Meaning started off as a concept for me uh, when I was reading, I believe it's a book called uh, The Van Gogh Blues. And in it, it really focused on the mental health side of, uh, of artists in general. And it started talking about uh, how artists struggle with meaning and finding meaning in their lives. And it made a lot of sense to me because when I'm not creating something, whether it be writing or simple doodles on a piece of paper or photographs in a way i feel lost and a lot of artists tend to feel that same way where they and that's where the whole feeling compelled to make a living at art and whether it's photography or whatever making a living off of it is such a strong pull for us and i wanted to try and explore that a little bit not necessarily by doing a ton of research but by writing my own thoughts and stories towards my own journey with finding meaning. And so the first article that I'm starting to finish up and going to be sending over uh, to get reviewed is about talking about what exactly art is. Because I think that's a good segue into finding meaning. If you don't know what art is and you don't have a solid definition towards personal art, then how can you really find any meaning within art, if that makes sense? So... (laughs) It makes total well, sense, and I've I've been asking myself that question for the last decade. Yeah. It, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, right now I have, uh, including that first one, I have fifteen different uh, topics, just kind of basic titles for them, uh, basic ideas right now, and I'm hoping to be able to flesh them out and. My ultimate goal with this is to, even if it's just one person, even if it's just myself, that it helps to kind of help um, to find meaning within their lives and especially in their art without having to uh, make a living off of it, being able to be content with keeping it as a hobby if that's what they want to do or if, yeah, to just be okay with making it a hobby or if you aren't able to make it go at it. What you're talking about, to me, sounds an awful lot like existentialism. And there's a really fantastic book that I feel like every human being should read that I was exposed to in college. Um, It's called Man's Search for Meaning. Yeah, Uh, I read that. 
And it's by an author called Viktor Frankl. He was a he was a uh, basically a prisoner in Nazi concentration camps um, back in World War II, and it was essential. I mean, he was able to find personal meaning every day in his life as a prisoner in a concentration camp. So I feel like if if that guy can figure that out um, as a prisoner of war, then and share the has how he did that. I think that is a way that other people can also find meaning through photography or, or through really any anything that happens in your life. I think the power of existentialism is that it reframes the way you think about something as being instead of being good or bad, you reframe it as a learning experience or as as a as something you've experienced, and then what can you get out of that experience which I think is a really powerful way of living life, uh, philosophically speaking. Yeah. Like I said, I, I read that book too. And like you said, if, you, if you're able to find meaning in your life and have that, that strength to pull through something as devastating as what he had gone through, then it kind of makes me as an artist find, trying to find meaning in my life. Like, why am I struggling with this so bad? <laughs> yeah perspective is a is, is a big deal <laughs> yeah yeah it is yeah that's awesome well cool i'm excited to see that and i know you're you've been talking with tim and charlotte parkin on landscape and so i'll, I'll definitely put in a good word for you to uh, hopefully we can get to see those articles uh, come to life through their magazine yeah hopefully like i said i i just finished up that uh the second edit for this uh, first one, so gonna send it off to Charlotte probably uh, tonight and or tomorrow, and see where it goes from there. Fingers crossed. Oh, yeah, word of advice: they're British, so you you have to change all your words to uh, you know, color is not c o l o r; it's c o l o u r. And while you don't say while, they say whilst, you know, so it's w h i l s t instead of w h i l e. Yeah, just got to be fancy and change it all up. Right. It's all uh, right. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, I wanted to ask you some more questions about black and white specifically because, and I know you touched on it earlier a little bit in terms of texture and tones, but I'm just curious, you know, why have you specifically chosen to, to, to use black and white as your medium and only black and white? It started off as a challenge to me. Uh, sort of a New Year's resolution, if you will. I have always been a real big fan of Ansel Adams, just like every other landscape photographer in the world. And his way of working with black and white, I just felt that it, something in me felt that it was right to just at least try it. And so I went on my way and decided, you know what, this year is 2017. So this year, if I can make it towards the end of it, just shooting black and white, just releasing everything in black and white, then I'll have accomplished something. Even if it's only three photographs that work out, or if most work out, then whatever. And then it became something where something of an obsession in a way, um, where I just started to see in black and white and be able to visualize my scenes a lot better than I was ever able to in color, especially in the forest. You during the summers too, or during the summers even more so, you really only have one color palette that you're working with. 
you're working with a lot of greens and a lot of browns and trying to find color within that, at least for me, was really difficult. And so by working with black and white, I had a different focus. Instead of color, I was able to focus on the tones and the textures of everything around me. And then, of course, switching to film, uh, black and white film is a ton cheaper than what a color film will ever be. So, ah, the truth comes out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> plus, <laughs> plus, there is always the difficulty. I tried a little bit of color film, too, uh, back when I was shooting medium format, and I could never get the conversions right in terms of making it look as good as everybody else's was. So I'm like, you know what? Stick with black and white. It's simple. One click and it's done. <laughs> what What have you found to be the biggest challenges of, of sticking with black and white? The fact that we don't natively see in black and white and there's no way for us to change that. There's You can walk around with your like camera from your phone uh, in front of you in black and white mode and yeah, that gets you close, but the way that we see versus how a camera sees in terms of dynamic range, we'll never get that with black and white. We'll never be able to look at a scene and see it in the true way that it should be like we would do in color. And so I, th- I think that's really the biggest, uh, biggest challenge of it is trying to train your eye to see at least approximately what the colors will do when you change the photograph from color to black and white and how they'll render. And then you add on the complexity of working with film. I'm also using color filters to, to alter those colors. So mainly I'm using a, like a deep red filter. So I have to think, what is that going to do to this scene in particular? And so sometimes I have to shoot two, uh, two photographs of one scene, one with the red filter and one without to try and learn what these colors all do. You know, it's interesting as you were saying that, I, I was reminded that that limitation that black and white is not how we experience the world, you know, uh, realistically, is also one of the advantages of shooting in black and white because you have a natural decoupling of rea- real- realism. Um, so it kind of opens you up creatively. You know, like very rarely do people criticize uh, black and white photography as not representing a scene realistically because it's already uh, detracted from reality one step. And so it's it's a lot easier for our minds to accept it as not being real, which I think gives you an advantage in some ways. Yeah, I mean, people view it as more abstract than they would with color. I mean, you can have some super HDR black and white photograph. And if you change it to color, people are going to lose their minds over it and not in the good way. They're going to be people in the good way. (laughs) Well, yeah, they're, they're always, people that have no taste. (laughs) Yeah. There, there are always exceptions to that. Yes. (laughs) But by having it already be an abstraction, like you said, you're it's decoupled. You don't have people thinking, oh, well, the sky really wasn't like that because, well, you can't tell. Right. The sky's not you... usually black. <laughs> well, it's not, but it isn't my photograph, so whatever. <laughs> no, I know, but it's uh, people don't say that when they look at black and white. You know, yeah, yeah. Have that expectation that it... Uh, 
that it needs to look real, you know? Right. Yeah. Which, you know, I, I mean, anyone who's listened to the podcast knows I, that's a huge thing for me personally in terms of how I like to experience photography, but I also really enjoy black and white photography for the opposite way because it takes me away from reality in an abstract way that doesn't, uh, like, I'm not, I don't have the expectation that it represent reality because it's, it does, it's not, you know? Yeah. And like I said, too, it, as far as I'm aware, at least, I don't think there are any cases where people see in true black and white strictly not where there are no, where they can't see color at all. And so I think that really helps, too, because it's not like someone's going to come out of the woodworks and say, yeah, well, that's not how it's actually supposed to look. Right. But then you you also have the cases, too, where I was talking with Cole Thompson at one point and he was saying how he gets bashed here and there because of how dark and moody his photographs are and how much black there are in his photographs and he's shooting in black and white. So you, you still do get criticism and it may not be as heard of, but it's still there, unfortunately, and it always will be because everybody has different subjective views of what is art. Well, hey, yeah, I mean, you just said it like I, I that's one of the things I always go to when people get upset when other photographers critique each other um you know this is an art if we, if we truly believe this is an art form then we should be perfectly happy with the idea that not everyone is gonna like it you know and and that's okay yeah I not mean, everyone if... likes jazz <laughs> and there's a lot of people that love jazz i like jazz uh, I've I've been listening to a lot of jazz lately, especially with writing. I mean? It's okay. Yeah, that yeah. Not everyone like jazz. It doesn't mean jazz is bad. You know what I mean? I, so, could Could you imagine a world where everybody liked the same stuff? How right. boring that would be. Exactly. There'd be no no creativity, no ingenuity. It'd just be stale. We'd all be bored with bored out of our minds right. if we liked the same stuff. And could you imagine a world where, when it came to our subjective taste and expression of our reaction to art, that it all be positive. Yeah. Nah. I, right. Like it's okay to say, I don't like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if, if everybody listening, it's like, I really hate black and white photography. That's totally fine. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I mean, that, that's you, not for you. You're, yeah. I mean, there are photographs that I'll look at from photographers that I absolutely love and say, yeah, you missed the, missed it for me on that one but right, then like, i love your work but not this one yeah and that's and, fine it doesn't mean they're right. a bad photographer yeah sorry that was a little tangent but i'm it's one of those you know there's this thing in landscape photography i feel like that's if you say something negative about someone's photography it makes you a bad person and it's like no i'm expressing my artistic opinion that's subjective and reaction to that piece of art and it's not always going to be positive and that's okay. You know? Yeah. Like it I, doesn't I, make you a bad photographer and it doesn't make me a bad person. I think people need to learn how to take, and I'm, if my girlfriend's going to listen to this, she knows I'm being a <laughs> massive hypocrite here. <laughs> uh, yeah. We I, all are a little bit, buddy. I get it. <laughs> I am terrible when it comes to taking criticism on a personal level, but when it comes to my art, I love hearing criticism about it. Because I want to learn how to better myself as an artist. I 
don't care about bettering myself as an individual, apparently, but <laughs> I want just to uh, to figure out what people don't like about my art and see, do they have any valid points that I can take away from this? And if they do, I don't want to be shying away from that. Well, to your girlfriend's point, she's probably right that you should be able to do the, do it for your for you as a person as well. <laughs> <laughs> I I think it's a Virgo thing, the whole not being able to take personal criticism. I think that uh, definitely doesn't help. <laughs> Working on it. We'll see how it goes. Well, so you know, back back to the black and white thing. You know, why why do you why do you think that uh, black and white photography is so seldom chosen by photographers working in the landscape space these days? I know I keep going back to it, but I I really do think it's because of not seeing the world in black and white natively. And unfortunately, I think that comes down to a lot of people not viewing black and white photography anymore as as attractive as what it once was. Hmm. I think a lot of people... So I have... I just recently put a, a couple of prints left over from my art show uh, into a local shop. And I happened to go over there this past weekend because they were having an event, a fundraiser. And I happened to see at least one person look by and start flipping through the work that I had set there and then just kind of pass along. And there are other photographs that are color and I didn't see what she did past that, but nonetheless, it's, it's tougher to sell black and white because I don't think people view it in the same way as they view color. It's not as eye catching most of the time. There's no bright colors or uh, bright scenery to really draw you in and maintain your eye black and white is more of at least in my view of it it's more subtle even if it's real contrasted and real poppy in terms of black and white and how that goes it's still more subtle and more contemplative than what uh, color photography will will be yeah i think you nailed it on the head i mean i think a lot of people don't do it because they think it won't do well on social media or it won't sell prints or, or whatever. I mean, I don't, I don't, I mean, I know I'm pinning with a pretty broad paintbrush there, but I think there's some truth to that's why people don't do it is because it doesn't sell and for right, either right or wrong. I and mean, if you think about why the majority of people buy photography, landscape specifically, landscape prints, it's usually because they've been to a place and it reminds them, the, the photograph reminds them of a memory of an experience or, you know, oh, we did our honeymoon there, you know, whatever. And they want something to kind of memorialize that. I mean, that's not for everyone, obviously. But, you know, if you think about if you had 100 people buying a landscape photography print, probably 85 of them, that's kind of the profile they fit into. And then, you know, the other 15% are people that actually are in it more for like, appreciating art you know um and is I what it that, is i think that goes along with uh, why so many photographers who are selling their work most of their audience is other photographers because you're seeing more of the appreciation for art rather than thinking back to i'm purchasing this piece because i was there or it reminds me of a place where i was like i i look at my dad too and as much as he supports me with my photography, there are certain pieces where he just doesn't get it and wouldn't purchase it or hang it on the wall himself because it doesn't have any meaning for him. Whereas he right. looks at a photograph that I took uh, 
at like a park that we've been to or somewhere that does have meaning to him. And he's like, okay, yeah, that I would hang on my wall. Or he takes a photograph with his phone and says, yeah, this I would hang, hang up, even though the photographs that you take and he'll outrightly say this are better in terms of just being technically better. But sure. to him, that phone photograph is something that he'd much rather have. So right. I, I definitely think people go into that mindset. Right. Could you imagine somebody publishing a fine art coffee table book and it's all like derivative uh, I- iconic locations? Like how many other landscape photographers are going to buy that book? <laughs> yeah. I, I couldn't imagine a lot of them. And I mean, I think, you know, not, not to say that's a bad thing, but you know, and it goes back to why, why are people making, doing the work? I think if you're creating, it's interesting. I was listening to my friend, Eric Bennett, and you can see his book behind me right there, but yeah, he yeah. was on David Johnson's podcast a couple of weeks ago and he was talking about, you know, he, he doesn't really care about what the public thinks about his photography, but he really cares what other landscape photographers think about his work. And that really resonates with me. And I know that resonates with a lot of other photographers that I run with. And I think there's something to be said for that. It's, you know, it's um, because I think part, part of it is that we, we know how hard it is to create work that's different and meaningful and personally expressive. And, and, and we understand that the challenges that are inside of that pursuit versus the opposite of that. So just saying. No, yeah, it's a, definitely a good point there. Okay, man. So last question about black and white. I'm curious, you know, we have, we have seen an uptick in people practicing and, and in photographing in black and white. Why do you think that this particular style of photography is gaining traction and popularity? Kind of the opposite of what we just said. Hmm. I think it comes down to, again, the abstraction of it and the fact that it's a new way of seeing uh, it. It provides, like for me, a challenge towards creating your art, something that uh, you don't necessarily get out of color photography. But this uptick could also just be something that is going to die down in a year from now. There are a lot of uh, a lot of things that rose in popularity last year because of COVID that uh, people got bored and wanted to try something new, and so popularity of it shot up and this year next year they'll shoot back down and in general though i think the rise of it comes down to uh people wanting to stray away from the poppy colors and the uh the there's a certain sense of uh intimacy that you get with black and white that you can't with color because you're seeing it so the world so differently and mm-hmm. I, I think that definitely helps yeah no i, I think that's right i think I think it has a lot to do with COVID. I think you're right in terms of people wanting to try something new and different and express themselves. Although I know of a few people that were starting to get more into it before that, but I think that does make a lot of sense. Awesome, man. Well, wrapping things up, I'm curious, who would you recommend for the podcast? So my first recommendation would be uh, David King Rowe, the fourth he is uh him and i have talked quite a bit over the past year or so um and not only is he a great photographer in black and white just like i am 
but he also has a really interesting philosophical side to to himself and the uh, the way that he approaches photography is something that you don't see often so i think he would be a a really great interview and then i have uh kevin holiday he's a photographer from uh, south carolina right now uh where he's based a lot of minimalist photography uh he recently because of uh, the hardships of covid uh, started to rely a bit more on his uh, graphic design background but it doesn't necessarily take away from his photography at all which i think is uh truly beautiful and then there's uh, Natalie Oberg and uh, again black and white photographer and just recently started talking with her a little bit more but uh, again she's worked with Ilford done a lot of uh, promotional stuff for her for them uh, which I think would be interesting to hear more about from her mm-hmm. then there's another photographer uh, Paul Hart he f- all of his photographs are uh, turned into books they're all project based hmm and his uh, big series that he just finished up, I think he just finished it up last year, was uh, focused on the Fenlands in the UK, more of uh, farmland territory versus your typical uh, forest or regular landscapes. So I think uh, talking to him about the uh, the process of actually focusing on a, a project like that, especially a long-term coffee table trilogy, would be... Uh, be interesting to hear for sure and then there's uh oliver dutre and he's another uh real interesting philosophical philosophically thinking photographer that uh i could imagine it would have some uh really cool things to say about photography and the process behind it awesome man cody this has been a lot of fun i really uh, enjoyed our conversation and it's always it's always great to to get to know a new person and and I I'm really excited to to see what you do with these articles and with your photography and encourage you to jump back into the social media platforms so that we can all enjoy your work a little bit more. I know that can be daunting, but uh, I I think that that can be a what you know what you make of it in terms of getting feedback or really just celebrating the community that we're in. So. I'm looking forward to to getting to know you more through your work in that way as well. Yeah, we'll definitely see what happens. Start off with Twitter and maybe uh, end up back on Instagram again. Hopefully uh, interact with some new photographers and learn some new things for sure. Cool. Well, thanks again, man. This has been fun. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Well, thank you to Cody for the great conversation on the podcast. You all should definitely go check out his work by visiting CodySchultz.com. I wanted to let listeners know before we parted about an exclusive offer from NPN. We've partnered with NPN, the internet's premier landscape and nature photographer's website. It's chock full of articles and engaging forums dedicated to our craft and art form. NPN is now offering podcast listeners a free 30-day trial to the platform plus 20% off their first year of membership. Just head over to naturephotographers.network forward slash f-stop or find the link in the show notes to get started with your free trial. Lastly, I wanted to take a moment to thank our Patreon podcast producers. These are individuals that help sustain the podcast at the $20 a month level or higher, and they are at the heart and soul of the podcast's ability to stay afloat. 
There is a link to each person's website listed at mattpainphotography.com in the podcast menu link. Please help support their work as best you can. If you are a producer and you have something that you want to promote, please reach out. I am super happy to do it for you here on the show. Our producers include Gary Randall, David Kingham, Eric Stensland, Ken Dono, Anton Everine, William Nurse, Richard Wong, Suzanne Mathia, Frank Otto Peterson, Michael Rung, John Whitaker, Joshua Wallace, Drew Armstrong, Drew Harbaugh, Jim Valancourt, Jennifer King, Craig Young, Adam Bulliard, Michael Damiola, Chuck Mora, Jacob Buchowski, J. Fritz Rumpf, Charlie Vandenbrack, Jose Panacook, Rob Patterson, John Norris, Jeff Risher, Mark Gardner, Dan Hawk, Matthew Bailey, Kathy Rodriguez, and Serena Jackson. Thank you all very much. Well, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. See you next week.